0: This is Mises Weekends with your host, Jeff Dice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Once again, it's Mises Weekends. We're joined by a friend of ours, someone I'm sure many of you already know, Daniel Lacalle. He is an economist, a, a Ph.D., someone who speaks all over the world at places like the U.S. Fed and at Heritage and uh, travels around to a lot of different countries in his role as a fund manager. But Daniel, I think what's most interesting for us is that you're not an academic economist at a university. You're not an academic economist at a place like the Fed, but you're sort of what I consider almost a new breed of economist who's out there, kind of like Nomi Prins, um, kind of like Daniel DiMartino Booth in that you are reporting almost from the front lines. You look at companies, you look at sectors, you apply uh, uh, technical economics training and, and, and libertarian and Austrian thought. Um, and you bring all this together in a way that's very different from what I consider the, this dopey, credulous financial press. You know, When you watch uh, Jim Cramer talking about stocks. I, I, yeah. In other words, I think, talk about being an independent economist.
1: Yes, I think it's, uh, thank you for that, by the way, because I find uh, it's great to be in such company, uh, according to you. But uh, the, the, I think it's very important to keep an eye on reality. And um, one of the things that happens when you speak with scholars, with people that, that come from academia, is that they stick to, uh, you know, to the dogmas. They stick to dogmas that uh, the the Phillips curve, Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, you know uh, old-fashioned Excel spreadsheet models. And the reality is a lot more complex. And as we are seeing more and more each day, uh, the economy is not just what we, uh, what the government is spending, what consumers are doing, how people are deciding to spend or to save. Uh, The economy is is vibrant, it's changing all the time. And there's an overlay that uh, academia tends to forget which is the financial market and uh, and that and, and hence the reason why uh, people are so skeptical about economists and so skeptical about uh, mainstream economists because while they exert a tremendous influence on financial markets they absolutely and completely ignore the the challenges and the, and the impact uh, of of the decisions that they make in uh, financial assets and, and asset prices.
0: Well, they also aren't very good at predicting things, are they? They kind of blew the, mm. the crash of 08, for example.
1: Absolutely, because think about this, academia... While, on, while giving a, a sort of magical wand type of uh, mainstream academia, gives a sort of a magical wand to monetary policy, to government spending, uh, a, a very aggressive level of, of direct influence on the real economy of uh, monetary policy and, and the biggest economic agent, which tends to be the public sector. while well, they do that they completely ignore uh, economic cycles uh, they the m- most most economists tend to by accepting the fact that governments can um and monetary policy can influence the way in which the economy moves uh it, they ignore economic cycles and they you know because an economic cycle is an abnormality usually based on uh, the assumption that there is a problem of lack of demand that can be solved through government intervention. And if you think about this, most of the the academia tends to think that all economic problems are demand problems, and as such, need to be sorted out uh, through somebody, be it the central bank or the government or both, that incentivizes demand. absolutely ignore oversupply, which is probably something that we from the side of Austrian economics understand a lot better Mm -hmm. because that actually um, the the, the challenges of supply side economics and the and the and the excesses mm, are much more explained by the fact that economic cycles do happen.
0: But it would seem that even today, a lot of fund managers a lot of wall street folks and certainly a lot of professional economists really don't know much at all about monetary policy in other words they kind of ignore that side of the equation
1: because we have seen uh, i think it's this is the this is the third generation of traders that has only seen demand side policies has only seen expansive uh, expansionary policies and as such they don't see anything else. you know. I was having a discussion very, very recently, actually 40 minutes ago, on, on Indian television about the challenges on the uh, Indian economy of the Federal Reserve raising rates. And the answer by, by mainstream economists is, well, the Federal Reserve should not raise rates. And you see, the the uh, we have lived so, such a prolonged period in which every piece of negative economic news was actually good news for financial markets because it meant that central banks were going to right. push further with dovish policies. That uh, everybody sort of feels right now in uncharted territory because yeah. the only thing that we have seen is I've lived uh, 600 rate uh, decreases. No, imagine so that. Is, that is a big problem because it, it, it clouds your perception of value. It clouds your perception of what is risky and what is attractive. It clouds many investment decisions. And it's a big challenge right now.
0: But if you're a Westerner, or at least an American, and you're under, let's say, 40 or 50 years of age, you've never seen... Fifteen uh, percent interest rates—you have no idea what that would even mean. Paul Volcker might as well be uh, from the eighteen hundreds rather than the, the the 1900s In other words, we have we have entire generations of people in the in the in the world of economics and finance who have never seen interest rates in operation.
1: Yeah, and more more worryingly, there is a a very large proportion of people who think that interest rates themselves are a negative yeah. instead of an essential factor of of the of the price of money and why money as something that is scarce and is not and and needs to have a price as a reflection of risk and it's so interesting because uh, at the same time the same people that tend to say that, look, interest rates, uh, I have never seen interest rates go up, and I expect that interest rates will never will never go up, those same people have a very aggressive and possibly negative view about the real economy. And it's interesting because uh, while... Central bank policy has led so many people to be extremely complacent about financial markets and about uh, uh, risky assets. At the same time, there is something that doesn't doesn't click. Hmm? So you do see interest rates at zero, but you don't borrow more. You do see... A tremendous amounts of money supply and and uh, and banks willing to lend you almost for anything. They don't even ask you, no. Uh, and 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 people are actually saving more. So so something inside is actually behaving much more intelligently than what they uh, initially perceive, no, by the by the by the current environment. But it is extremely dangerous because we we it, an entire generation does not know what is going on. Mm-hmm.
0: But also shouldn't financial markets serve a noble purpose in other words de- uh, allocating capital to its best and highest uses which makes us all wealthier and healthier and happier and and it raises people out of poverty it, it, but instead it it I think even people who don't understand technically they sense that it's rigged hmm they do sense it. They do sense it,
1: and and it's and it's reflected in something that I find fascinating when I speak with clients. No, is that on one side you see equity markets shoot through the roof, and at the same time, uh, many of my clients they just want to be involved in fixed income, mm-hmm. despite negative real rates. Uh, so they do sense that something is not is not is not right. But I agree. I mean, financial markets. Do serve a better purpose, and it's and it's a and it's a noble purpose because it's allowing companies to finance themselves, and the ones that do better to finance themselves at a better rate, and to have more access to liquidity if they're doing the right thing. They, uh, it, it is a way of um, giving a bonus or a premium to companies that allocate capital adequately and therefore create more value and generate better business and better goods and services for the community. And all of that, uh, it's distorted by the fact that suddenly central banks are worried about price are worried about the fact that they don't worry about the fact that uh, uh, those those effects are created by by financial markets that financial markets are serving their purpose but they're worried about the fact that credit growth they just worry about credit growth. They don't. They don't worry about what type of credit. They don't worry if a lot of that money is going to very high risk, high yield, no real return type of companies, bubble assets, etc. They just look at credit growth as sort of a a goal in itself, no matter what type of growth it, it is. Now, I remember speaking at the. European Central Bank and saying, uh, isn't the European Central Bank concerned about the fact that 80% of uh, capital allocation in the European Union is going to recycling of capital? Mm -hmm. And they just didn't even know that. They they thought, what is the problem? Well, it, it means that you're basically just churning assets between the same uh, parts of the economy but you're not creating more and uh, better uh, better goods and services and, and 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 more productivity central banks are not talking uh, about uh, productivity Almost at all, they actually think that uh, low productivity growth is, 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 some, uh, is an abnormality that will be corrected through time, but they're not, they're not understanding that they are part of the problem. Uh, and mainstream economists, for example, almost never talk and in, in, in financial markets about money velocity which I find fascinating because if you're actually seeing such an abnormal amount of money supply in the economy, money velocity should be an absolutely key factor to understand whether your inflation expectations and your productivity growth estimates are going to happen or are they going to be uh, wrong. No.
0: Well, give us the central premise of your, your most recent book. It's called Escape from the Central Bank Trap. What is what is the trap that central banks have created for themselves by creating so much base money and by keeping interest rates so low
1: well the the the, the central bank trap itself is the is the problem that is created by ignoring the Impact on financial markets of the central banks' policies. Central banks believe that bubbles or that excessive valuation in financial markets are sort of a benign secondary effect, or even a sort of I don't know, uh, almost something that that you that you that happens, but you don't have to worry too much about because you care more about inflation, growth, whatever. Um, And and that is the trap. The trap is that on one side, you ignore the uh, asset valuations and the the bubbles that you're creating. And once they happen, you cannot normalize the policy because the impact of that uh, financial asset bubble uh, would be so huge that it would have ripple effects on the real economy that you're thinking about. So with almost with a, as a collateral damage, sort of, well, yeah, valuations are high, but that is supply and demand. No, I've heard this. I've, I've had the, the opportunity of working or speaking with at least uh, three presidents of uh, chairmen of, of central banks. And, yeah, valuations are high, but, you know, who cares? Uh, it, it'll be corrected through time. And they don't understand the ripple effects that they have in the economy, funnily enough, until they leave the central banks. Ben Bernanke is now talking about the excessive valuations and and Greenspan as well, etc. So that is the trap. The the book Escape from the Central Bank Trap is based on the idea that I've read numerous books, fantastic books about the mm, absolutely atrocious role of central banks and why they should disappear. I've read numerous books about how great central banks are the best thing after sliced bread and that they should actually introduce negative uh, absolute rates and and, and push uh, monetary policy even further but you know i wanted to write a book that said look central banks are not going to disappear and there are things that they can do to avoid creating more and more bubbles that end up generating lower and lower growth and more and more indebtedness and the book is yeah. basically about the challenges and uh, solutions that are feasible understanding that central banks are not going to disappear i, I understand the, the argument of why they should they're not so my point is to give uh, credible and feasible solutions in which uh, central bankers pay attention to uh the, the the importance of financial asset valuations a lot more than what they actually do
0: well here's an example of one trap if if uh interest rates were just in the historical average of five to ten percent that the the US government would be in a position where where the single biggest budget item for the u.S Congress every year would be service on that debt it would be a trillion dollars a year I mean how yeah. how can they ever raise rates Congress would have a mutiny
1: Um, Well, Congress would have a mutiny, absolutely. Obviously, low rates... Well, we're for that, by
0: the way. We're for a mutiny by Congress (laughs) or anybody else. Uh,
1: Low rates are an incentive to borrow more. hmm? Yeah. Uh, they, They present lowering rates as an opportunity to reduce imbalances, but they're not. They're an opportunity to binge. Uh, and obviously, the, the most indebted and the most uh, the, 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 the sectors that have the, the most access to debt are the ones that are going to take that opportunity, government being the first. Um, the, the, the federal government definitely has a problem with the budget. Uh, the United States has uh, lived too long from borrowing, uh, and with the false idea that is actually embedded in academia, you can read very, very thoughtful papers about it, saying that the U.S. government actually needs to borrow more because if not, it it doesn't it doesn't provide liquidity to the rest of the world, and uh, and that the U.S. debt is actually an asset, uh, a quality asset that other people value. Well, obviously, that is complete nonsense. Uh, it is a liability and it's a growing liability and it's the reason why the United States, like so many other countries, gets out of crisis with uh, weaker and weaker growth um, growth rates and the reason why it goes from crisis to crisis much more rapidly as well. Crisis have always existed, but mm-hmm. we have seen they're more and more abundant. They're not as aggressive as they used to be before, the, uh, before there was a globalized financial market. But it is true that we have more uh, number of crises, and, and, and we need to we need, and, and debt is stands at the forefront of that problem.
0: Well, let me ask you something that uh, Ron Paul asked Ben Bernanke. Do you look at gold? Do you care about gold? Does gold factor into your thinking as an analyst?
1: Uh, It does. I do. I do. I do pay a lot of attention to gold. I don't pay attention to gold from the perspective that some people uh, do, uh, almost as the true measure of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... To me, gold is an important factor. is an It's an important factor because the price of gold reflects numerous things, uh, starting with and not being only, for example, um, what are the real inflation expectations of the economy? No, the gold is an inflation hedge. Hedge. Um, I do look at the price of gold all the time, but. One thing that I think that people who pay too much attention to gold fail or or make mistakes uh, by by doing so is, for example, uh, considering that a currency is stronger if the central bank of a country has more gold. Mm -hmm. The key example is the the Russian ruble. Russian ruble is a very weak currency, but the central bank follows almost Austrian uh, and very actually and very wise uh, policies uh, for the for its own economy no um but this this is this is a clear, for example, dichotomy. You have uh, countries in which the amount of gold reserves is high, uh, Russia uh, or Turkey, for example, and their currencies are very weak. Their stock markets can be extremely weak, and their uh, imbalances are actually important. So I do pay a lot a lot of attention to it, but not as sort of like the pillar that mm-hmm. around which. Everything evolves more like something that sort of it's like it's like an anchor. It brings you back to reality uh, when 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 things get crazy.
0: Well, one last question for you, Daniel. You mentioned earlier dogmatism. That's a charge that's oftentimes thrown at really hardcore Austrians, really true believers. But the irony here is we're supposed to be the causal realist. School of Economics, how, how can Austrians do better? How can, I mean, obviously the short answer is be less dogmatic, but how can Austrians do better? And how, how can we get our views out there and, and, and let people know that, that uh, you know, the Austrian perspective had a, a lot to say about the 08 crash and, and might be valuable in the future?
1: My biggest criticism as, as, as a follower of the Austrian school is that we don't provide solutions. Is usually the Austrian school is tremendous at pointing, <laughs> you know, at, at at the problem and saying, look, you know, uh, so so we look, we're we almost looking at the as the guys that, that are going to turn on the lights and stop the music. So get these people out of here. I don't want to talk about these people. Uh, they, they tell me that everything is wrong. I want to know. More, no. I want, and I think that that's where we need to we need to step up because the Austrian school of economics was always about solutions. Mm-hmm. If we look at the at the teachings of Mises, we took uh, it was always about not just criticizing what was going wrong, but also about a, a an entire model of economic policy that was better for savers, for uh, the middle class. You know, I think that that's what we're missing, precisely in an environment in which we are seeing that, maybe indirectly, maybe people don't know why, but they do get that something is wrong, and they they react against the status quo, the status quo by saying uh, we don't believe in central banks, we don't believe in governments yet instead of going to something that is that is actually a solution to all of that which is which are the teachings of the austrian school of economics what they do is actually go to socialism yeah. because socialism offers zanadu offers you know party uh, offers uh, the music to continue to 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 play despite the fact that there is no turntable and uh, so the the I think that that's where we need to step up. I think that uh, what we need to do is to see more, uh, more articles, more uh, you know, more more comments in what we say. Is look, you know, these are the solutions. If we think about this, the reason why the middle class is angry. The reason why uh, people perceive that they are not better off than how they were before crisis, etc., we need, right. and they sort of understand that governments and politicians and they don't understand very much central banks, but they do understand that their purchase, the purchasing power of their salary is is lower. Is that we 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 offer solutions that make. Economies work better that don't have to go constantly from boom to bust cycles, and that don't elevate the government to God, uh, whilst at the same time protecting savers and the middle class. That's what we need to do, in my opinion.
0: Well, Daniel Lakaye, thanks for your time. Uh, Good evening to you in London. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to be thinking about and listening to some of these independent voices. You can find Daniel Lakaye, L-A-C-A-L-L-E. Uh, on Twitter, you can find his book *Escape from the Central Bank Tramp* at uh, mises.org. You can find it at Amazon, and I really suggest you follow his Twitter feed because it's—it's—he's uh, he, a very active guy and, and someone you ought to be following. Daniel, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great weekend! Subscribe to Mises Weekends via iTunes, U, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, or listen on mises.org and YouTube.